when she was asked about her opinion of a particular war going on in the world, she said, young man, I'm not against war, I'm for peace. And it's a beautiful statement. And it encapsulates everything that I believe is the, the right way of thinking. And that is to be for something that's beneficial to you. That Everything changes when you just make that simple little change. That was Trevor Blake, and this is Guild Stories. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we will explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. All right, welcome back to Guild Stories. Um, holy cow, this is, a, this is a really cool and powerful interview today. Um, and, and at the risk of, of uh, just jumping right in, man, let's go. So today we're joined by Trevor Blake, New York Times best-selling author of Three Simple Steps, of which I've read, and I'm super um, grateful for his work. Uh, Trevor's a physicist by background who grew up extremely poor and bullied in a medieval village, no less, which is uh, I can't wait to unpack. Eventually, he tapped into the workings of energy, consciousness, and transformation, in particular, the science behind it all, and began creating through intentionality, which we're going to hear about. He wanted to travel the world, um, and at 43, he started his first company in oncology research. He's now on his fourth, fifth, and sixth after selling the first three for over $300 million. The fascinating part is he's never hired a single employee or worked more than five hours a day. His first book was Three Simple Steps, and his most recent, which I'm halfway through, is Secrets to a Successful Startup. Even though he's actively running his other companies, he enjoys sharing this information with people and now has two online courses, Transformation and Secrets to a Successful Startup, plus an online mentoring and coaching program called Trevor's Guild. So here at Guild Content, uh, we're eager to hear more about his guild. His website is trevorgblake.com. So Trevor, man, it's so great uh, to have you with us, man. Oh, Justin, I'm delighted. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to chat. Absolutely. Um, so, so I I first heard your vo- your amazing voice. <laughs> by the way, I first heard your voice on Ryan Moran's podcast on capitalism, um, and, and I followed Ryan's work throughout the years, and and uh, have have really been impacted by his mindset and, and the way that he teaches and, and talks about entrepreneurship. Um, and, and for him to say like, "Hey, this is the most impactful guy he's met in a year," and then to listen to that interview with you, I was I was blown away, and I was ready to have a glass of red wine with you, man. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, I'm glad I had some effect. <laughs> absolutely. So, so for those that don't know and haven't been introduced yet, um, jump us into the deep end. Like, who, who, are, who are you? What's your background? What's your story? Um, what are you up to? And, and holy cow, we can we're going to take this a, a lot of different angles, and I can't wait. Yeah, sure. I mean, I always find that the hardest question to answer: Who am I? Because we're all we're all so many things. You know, the, the outside world views us as one thing, and I think the outside world views me as a serial entrepreneur but but I, I think of myself as many different things one is a writer I'm actually mm. you know, my, the love of my life is writing and so I I first started out as a screenplay writer and um, was sort of moderately successful but um, I found that my writing really helped me from a business standpoint because I needed to put food on the table so I got a regular job but I found being able to structure presentations and structured reports and things like that really set me out from the crowd and so I, mm. I ended up in a fast-track career so so the you know, the combination of being a writer and being a business person has worked really well for me. And I guess that's by, by luck or good management, it seems to be that way. So I think of myself as a writer first and a business person second. Um, 
But I guess if I was to be completely honest, I'd have to say I'm actually a reader because I spent, I still spend even today three or four hours a day just reading. And when I was a kid, I, you know, I was a voracious reader and um, I read biography after biography and I was fascinated by all the amazing heroes through history. And that, that's really where all my ideas for Three Simple Steps and everything else came from. It was I, I found these patterns of behavior in all of these fantastic people, regardless of their time, regardless of their constraints and the challenges that they faced. They were able to just use these little simple behaviors and it changed their lives completely. And so as a kid, I thought, or I say a kid, a teenager, I thought, you know, if it works for them, it'll work for me. So I, I you know, I, I sort of made that into my life and I've used that even, to, even up to today. That's what all my books and courses are about, the same things. But, uh, but I found that, you know, my goodness, all of this information was available simply by reading. So since then, I've just been a voracious reader of everything I can get my hands on, basically. That's and awesome. that's who I think of. My, that, 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 that's what I think of myself. I'm a reader and a writer, and I just happen to have some businesses. <laughs> just happen to have a few successful businesses. Um, yeah. the, 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 I, I love the story that you tell in Three Simple Steps about your growing up, and you've hinted at it here already, but um, it, it, unpack the the comment in your bio about you know you're kind of bullied growing up. You had you, you know it, from from outside looking in, maybe not the most glamorous or or, uh, or easy upbringing, but that did shape a great deal of of even the the current version of Trevor Blake. But th- that read like you you kind of um, ducked into the reading as 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 maybe a means to to kind of work through some stuff in your own life. Like help us understand that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it was a cowardice on my part. I hid from the bullies, basically. So let's let's define bullying. So there's, all bullying is, is horrific. So there's bullying that's kind of name-calling or on social media, you know, social media bullying. But in this case, it was sectarian bullying. So it was it was political and religious and, and, and racist. And so people were coming at me with, with, with uh, you know, the equivalent of baseball bats and, in one case, a 12-ball shotgun. So, so you know, you, there's... there's you know, there's nothing wrong with fear because it can save your life. And so in this case, when the guy comes with you with a 12-ball shotgun, it's a pretty good idea to run rather than stand up and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. say, you know, you can't do it. So, so I used to hide in the library, and that's why I started reading biographies because these guys would never go to the, the public library. So <laughs> li- literally, books literally saved my life, and that's really where I got addicted to it. But the um, the bullying and the sectarianism came because I was I was from Liverpool in England, and it was at a time, and we moved, so we were evicted from our, our apartment above a, a little store, a little commodity store. And uh, we, in those days, you could drive sort of 50 or 60 miles and completely disappear. And that's what my dad did. He knew if he could get far enough away, the creditors would never fall. There were no freeways in those days. So mm. it was like disappearing into a different country. So I ended up in the, uh, the principality of the UK called uh, North Wales. And so um, it was at a time, unfortunately, when the Welsh hated the English. And the reason it was a political thing, and it was, there was a, a, a political party that wanted the English out of Wales because a lot of English people were buying up farms and turning them into vacation homes and renting them out, and that made housing too expensive for the locals. So it became a big political football that was passed around between one party and another. So of course, I turned up in the middle of this at about nine years old and was immediately a target for what people saw on the TV. They saw houses being burnt down and English people getting beaten up. And people being people, they see that and they follow it and they copy it. And so it was, it was it was a difficult time, but in many ways, I thought the whole world was like that. So I didn't really think that I was being, you know, you know, sort of, you know, set aside for bullying. I thought that everyone who was English got bullied this way. And you just deal with it. And so I used to get into loads of scraps and loads of fights. I won a few, lost more than I won. Um, and in the end, I thought this is crazy. You know, I don't I don't want this in my life. So I just hid in the library, and that changed my life completely. That's, that's a, I mean, it's a it's a 
amazing and powerful um, story that you just jumped us back into. The, the, the reading of those biographies, um, uh, you have lots of superpowers, but it seems like one of them is to synthesize, you know, kind of this physicist language, but, but to be able to um, intake or have lots of inputs and then be able to, to simple, to be able to simplistically communicate those learnings. Um, which again, I, I know led to, to the writing eventually of three simple steps, but, um, how, how did in those moments when you were reading, I mean, you, you talked about even at an early age, 15, 16, starting to, to adopt some of these practices around silence and meditation and what you, what you now call quiet time. Um, how, how did those, how did those lessons that you're reading on a page in the library, hiding from bullies end up transforming your own life? Well, I'd say as a teenager, it was a bit like, you know, Chronicles of Narnia in that passages would jump out of the page at me. And, and it, it did become, it became quite magical. I still do it in my adult. In, in the, when we get back to the days when we're allowed to go to bookstores, um, one of my favorite things to do is to go to a bookstore with no preconceived notion of what I want to purchase mm. and just wait till a book lights up on a shelf and it kind of blinks. And I pick it up and I think, okay, take that one. And I go home and it could be about any subject. It could be by any author. But when I get home, I find, that's exactly what I needed to read right now. And um, and so it, I found that when I was a kid uh, with all of these biographies. Sometimes I'd pick a biography and I'd just open it at a page in the middle and just see, okay, what's what's this about? And it would be just what I needed to read at that point in time. So it's a very magical process. And what I realized was happening, and this is what I teach in the courses really, is about how we, how we deepen our connection to our intuitions. And what I realized that was happening was that I had certain needs that I was somehow um, admitting to the universe saying, please get me out of this, please help me, you know, you know, these are my these are my silly little teenage problems that I'm dealing with today. And then I would, you know, just use my intuition to pick something off the shelf. And it became so regular and so natural to me, I didn't question it. I didn't try to analyze it like an adult would. Mm. And so fortunately, I never got to that adult point where everybody says, oh, don't be stupid, that sort of thing doesn't happen. It's always happened in my whole life. And that's one of the things I try to teach now is is that, you know, we tend, over time, we tend to lose our connection to our intuition. And this is particularly important in business. So, so I take the same practices into business. So I have to tell you, I am uniquely unqualified to run any business that I've run. And yet people will say to me, um, you know, you have this incredible ability to read complicated data and complicated contracts and hone down to the one thing that's important that we need to deal with. And they think it's genius, but it's not. It's simply because my intuition does that for me. I can read all this stuff and I don't understand any of it, but then a sentence will jump out of it, jump out of me and I think, you know, that's obviously important. We need to talk about that. And and you end up looking like a genius, but it's really not that. It's just that you've you've learned to rely on your intuition. And the, and the more you can you more you can connect with your intuition, the more moments of insight you tend to get in your life like that. And, and it's, it's extremely valuable. I mean, it makes a difference between not succeeding with a company and succeeding. You know, now I'm on my sixth company, succeeding time and again because you're able to identify these incredibly important moments of insight. Which, if you were, if, if you didn't have connection with your intuition and you were relying solely on your analytical ability, I think you'd probably miss. So, so for me, that's what that's that's the sort of physics that's in play. That's it's beautiful. You you, you talk um, maybe this was on Ryan's podcast, and, and I'm sure you wrote about it in your book as well. But um, the this you know this concept of the the in, the intuition is not. It's it's just maybe asleep or masked. It's not that it doesn't exist or that, but we've we've adapted and, and like you said, as adults, we've either stuffed that, ignored it, shamed it, whatever the case may be. And, and you 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 talk about this concept where it, it's more of a 
um, feminine I- instinct, right? And and I, you know, I've been married almost 19 years now, almost 18 years. Um, and it's like, no, 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 man, Brooke has like wicked in touch intuition. I mean, it's just like, it's just, it's just right there for her all the time and she has access to it. Um, so I'm curious more about the practice that you've developed in terms of how do you not only awaken that, but, but start to pay attention to it and start to, to start to trust it. Well, that goes, that goes back to quantum physics, which I also started to study when I was 15 or 16 years old and I was in the library. And, um, you know, they just they just empty the books out. On, on I, I needed I, I needed physics to get to a milestone that I had set for myself in my life, mm. and, um, and and I wasn't very good at it at school. And the teacher completely dismissed me because I got a terrible score in, in, a, in a mock exam. And and, it, and the fact and the way he dismissed me made me mad. And I think getting mad sometimes is, is one of the secrets to success. Get mad about something <laughs> and then go fix it. <laughs> so 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 I wanted I wanted to prove him wrong. You know, and that's kind of been a a mantra for most of my life let me all these people tell me i'm not capable let me prove them wrong and so and so um i started reading these physics books not realizing that what i was reading was university level physics and it did a magical thing to me it suddenly raised me into this higher level of thinking so then when i went back to school to do my high school physics it seemed like child's play i didn't actually learn anything i just my whole attitude and and sort of persona changed around it so suddenly i was i was a star physics student and i was getting into quantum physics and one of the things about quantum physics it was teaching me that that everything in life is energy and once you understand that and you start to play with that concept and it is playful it's a lot of fun but once you start to play with this concept that everything is in is energy then you start to realize that i myself have all of these aspects to me many of which i've cut myself off from or society or my parents or whatever their their belief systems have shut me off from and one of the things that fascinated me, same with you, with, with, with your partner, is that women's intuition is so powerful, so strong, and so certain. It's so knowing. And so, you know, my, I've been married 40 years, and my wife will say, I'll, I'll say, what do you think about this person? And she'll say, don't work with him, he's bad news. And I'll say, well, how can you say that? You've never met him. I like the guy. Mm-hmm. And she'll say, no, it's bad news. And if I go against that, then I, I have to pay, you know, with energy and with finances. It usually goes horribly wrong. Um, and so, you know, I've learned to follow, to, to follow that. So I was fascinated by, okay, what's the physics process for intuition? And I found it. And I found it in a number of different books, both biographies and quantum physics books. And I found that there's ways for us to, to use this principle of, of uh, connecting across an energy field. And until about 2012, it was all sort of mythical and perhaps a little theoretical. But in 2012, it was finally confirmed. The, 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 uh, the debate was, what's between the things? Is it empty space or is there something gluing it all together? And I love that concept of cosmic glue. And so in 2012, they confirmed this thing called the Higgs field, and it connects everything, everything through the whole universe. Mm. And that was magic to me. So I, what, I, what I find very useful is if I can visualize an energy field, and I can visualize myself connecting through that energy field, then I can connect with anyone and anything. So therefore, if I have an issue or a problem that I can't resolve, and I'm finding trouble connecting to my intuition, I just have to go for a walk in nature and imagine connecting through the magic of the Higgs field through nature. And I get all of these incredible moments of insight, like these little aha moments where you slap yourself on the forehead and say, why didn't I think of that three years ago? You know, those type of moments. And the more that you do it, the more it happens. And all you have to do is just do it once, have fun with it, and then you'll get so addicted to it, it becomes like an everyday. It's, it's like drinking tea or coffee. You'd say, well, I'm going for a walk, in, I'm going, going to walk in the woods now, and I'm going to have one of those magic moments. And, but you have to do that visualization, and that's what I got from 
a, a number of these quantum physics books where the physicists have tried to look at what happens at the micro level and how that applies to the macro level in life. And they did it through this sort of visualizing these fields and visualizing, you know, sending energy through this through this Higgs field and receive it like, like sonar. I was in the Navy for a while and mm. sonar used to fascinate, fascinate me. They'd send out a sonar, you'd hear the reverberating signal and somebody who's responsible for interpreting that, is it a whale or is it a submarine? And you do the same thing in life. I do it in my businesses. So I'll face a major issue, I'll go for a walk, I'll send out my sonar signal and I'll receive an answer. And the answer typically is not what I'm expecting, but is always the right one. Mm. Man, that's so beautiful. It, it, it reminds me of your, it, it, and it's, it's such a simple, profound statement, but it reminds me of your concept that you've unpacked several places, but this, this feeling of, not feeling, this truth of when you put out for energy into the world versus when you put out against energy into the world, that, that stuff comes back to you, like, just like a sonar yeah. does. Um, and I, I would love to hear your take, and I know our, our audience would love to hear your take on the, the the power of being for something versus being against, and, and and really like how natural and normal and every and 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 um, all the time everywhere almost like the the energy publicly is is against, and so how how you stand for something is is such a powerful, profound. Concept. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I wish we had a couple of hours to really get into it. So I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and distill it a little bit. It again comes back to that everything in life is energy. That's the starting point for everything. And when, when you understand that, then you realize, and, and you know, you can you can go on one of my courses to learn how is that so, and, and therefore knowing that, what difference does that make? Well, once you know it, if you change the way you react to the energy you're interacting with normally, then it changes the outcome. And if your life is perfect, don't don't change anything. But if your life isn't the way you want it, you need to change some things. And so, so because everything's energy, a thought is also energy. And scientifically, you know, this sounds very new agey, but scientifically, a thought is created by a neurochemical reaction. And that neurochemical reaction has an energy that's measurable and identifiable. And the thing about energy is it can't be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed into something else. So if you do nothing at this point, you've just had a, it's just, let's say you just had a thought and it's, an, it's a thought that's not going to help you like, oh my God, I'm in so much debt. How am I going to get out of this debt? Like, very common thought. I've had them myself in the past because I used to be in debt as well. Mm. Horrible feeling. Stomach turns over and you think, what a mess. What have I done? Mm. Um, those thoughts go out to the universe. And because they can't be created or destroyed, they stay there or they convert into the material equivalent, which is more thoughts of debt. So if you if you get your your um, credit card statement and your immediate thought is one of negativity. Oh my God, that's terrible, which is natural. Can't beat yourself up for thinking that way. Those thoughts go out to the universe and they come back to you as a material equivalent, which means something's going to happen that's going to make you be even more in debt so that you have even more of those thoughts. And it's not a cruel process. It's just that thoughts don't have emotions. They're just thoughts. They're just doing what they do. They're energy. Energy has no sense of good or bad. It just is. It's just energy. And so the energy converts, converts into what you're experiencing. And like, once you know that, it's like opening a door to a, to a treasure um, uh, throne or something like that. It's, mm. it's, it's, because what you realize now, okay, so I've had that negative thought. But that's okay. I'm only human. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to react differently to it. So instead of that thought, I'm going to think something different. One of the things I teach is as soon as you had that thought, then you say to yourself in your head or out loud, whichever, wherever you feel safest doing it, and you say to yourself, when I'm debt-free, 
and you imagine the emotion of being debt-free. How amazing would that feel to have no debt whatsoever and therefore be able to buy anything that you want and, and, and therefore never to have to look at a credit card statement again and never have that feeling. So you say, when I am debt-free, I'm going to the nearest liquor store, I'm going to buy the most expensive bottle of champagne, which I'll pay cash for, and I'm going to share it with my friends. And you imagine doing that. And I teach this to a lot of people, and they laugh about it because it sounds new age. But I say, don't judge it. Do it and come and tell me what happened. And you know what? Um, I got a, I get email. I got one just a, a few weeks ago. I might have mentioned this on, on Ryan's podcast, actually. And, and a guy who's he's, you know, he's my age and he's been in debt most of his life. And he wrote back and said, for the first time, and then he put in capital, in decades, mm. I am debt-free. I'm debt-free. And I have no idea how it happened. I just kept doing it. What you said, I just kept doing. And all these things popped up in my life. And the, the money comes magically into your life. It's the same with business. You know, you, you imagine the success of your business and the right people turn up at the right time and everything just falls into place. But if you, you know, if you start a company with a sense of fear that, oh, my God, you know, am I qualified to do this? Do I have enough money? Have I got the right people? Am I kidding myself? What will, ha- what will happen if I fail? My family will divorce me or something like that. If you start with all of those thoughts, then sure enough, that's what's going to happen. So you have to be aware of the fearful thoughts. They're just human. Not beat yourself up for it. And then change your reaction by using your imagination about what you want instead of what you don't want. And that makes all the difference, all the difference. Mm. I love how you've, uh, in a loving, kind way, kind of beat up the self-help industry a little bit, right? Like, um, or at least, let me, let me say it in a, in a, a more for sense. You, you've, uh, you, you've questioned some of the, 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 the advice or the thoughts. And what's interesting is a lot of times, and it's a general statement, obviously, but a lot of times in that industry, there's there's lots of phrases, sayings, things that are that are, you know seem like mindset, but then they're not necessarily followed by practical application or practical um, put you know put skin on it and bring it to life. And and I, and I, I just I think you you've again beautifully and simplistically kind of walked through like. Hey, yes, this this feels new agey, but you even use the word bullshit. I think to describe it, like it's not new age bullshit. It's like this has yeah. real practical application to transform your life. Um, and, and man, I'll I'll use a, a, a kind of a, a candid example in my own world. I, I, I wrapped up three simple steps instantly, then downloaded um, the, the the your secrets to a start a successful startup. Was listening to that. Was was listening to the state to the part around. Um, you know, kind of the, the bigger pie of, of investment. We, we've bootstrapped a marketing agency for three and a half years and it's, it's been beautiful, but it's been really hard. Right. And there's been this really um, almost kind of, you know, uh, Lone Ranger solo cowboy type mindset of like, Hey, when cash comes in, then, then we can spend stuff then we can grow all that. Um, and, 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 and I don't know where this story goes, but literally that next morning I get a call from a good buddy and he's like, Hey, um, and, 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 and to be specific, I'd been writing, and I'm not going to share them because you told me not to, <laughs> but I've been uh, writing my intentions in the morning about what this thing can look like and will look like. And I get a call the next day from a buddy, and he's like, hey, this is really weird. I, I met with this guy last night. We're, we're good buddies in a different business, um, and I don't. it just felt like I need to connect the two of you. And this guy's like a, he's a, he's a venture capitalist guy. <laughs> like, I was like, Hey dude, I'm listening. Like I'm listening to you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention. Um, and, and again, I, uh, at this point in time, I don't know exactly how this story unfolds, but the, the, the mindset piece 
that you've you've instilled in terms of mm-hmm. yes the the thought and the four concept is important and then the practical bringing this stuff to life is like it's just so powerful yeah i mean you need tools and techniques that's one you're right i mean that's one of the issues i've had with self-help books i've read a lot in my life and it's just always good information in them it's always it's and it always the thing about self-help is always makes you feel good and that was one of my issues with it. it makes you feel good about your life but you don't want to feel good about your life you want a better life and they could never get me over that step you know like mm. okay i feel great now I don't mind being in debt now because it's told me to think positively, you know, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's not the thing you want to be out of debt. But, so, so you do need the tools and techniques and, and um, I rely, I'm, you know, be, I'm sort of a scientific mind. I rely on, I like, I, I need to know why something works before I would, you know, share it with somebody else. That's, been, that's just been, that's just who I am. And so I'll, you know, I'll understand the physics process behind something and then practice within myself first before I would ever share it. Mm-hmm. And that's because in many self-help books, they don't do that. And they, they do talk about things that are a complete illusion, like the law of attraction and the, and, and positive thinking. I mean, these things are impossible because you know, positive thinking, you, thoughts happen in 500 milliseconds. You don't have time to stop thinking the negative thought. And sometimes you don't want to. Mm. If, a guy, if a guy is running at you with an axe, you don't want to stand there thinking, oh, that's a lovely, shiny piece of instrument, isn't it? You want to get the hell out of the way. So you need the negative thoughts. You know, it helps, it's a survival mechanism. That's right. There's, and, and so positive thinking for me was always like a crazy thing. And and then the fact that so many of these self-help writers were successful because their book caught on. They went on Oprah Winfrey's book list or something like that. Mm. And I looked at their lives beforehand and I'm thinking, well, this is, you know, this this, this guy wasn't really, I mean, I, I wouldn't have called him success. I know success is a judgmental thing, but I wouldn't have called him successful in his life. He's on his sixth marriage. He's a, he's a drug addict. And the rest of it. I mean, mm. I, you know, fantastic that he's got over those things. But that's not really an example for my life. I don't want that. So mm. I think it's very. I think you have to be very careful that to, when you when you purchase something that you think is going to be useful from a personal development standpoint, for goodness' sake, check out the background of the author first. And that's what I've learned to do that for for a number of years now. And, and when you find those that are really genuine, you know, when you read those books, they really have an impact on you. I think. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, I, I was I was surprised. I had not heard anyone unpack. I'm sure others have. I just have not encountered it. Unpack the the Napoleon Hill story of like the thinking grow rich. You know, and it's like sitting next to my bed, right? Like I'm like, oh man, um, it was it was just a fascinating like your concept of hey, these people like they they got that because of the book. That they're, they're not they haven't actually done it, right? I mean, it's just a, it was. Well, I mean, a, yeah, he didn't. I mean, Napoleon Hill didn't, did he? I mean, he he died poor, poor, poor fella. It's only because uh, Clement Stone put the rights of the book into a trust for him on his deathbed as a gesture to his friend that the book, you know, the book carried on great marketing in those days, but book caught on. Um, I mean, his life was a really tragic life. I felt sorry for it. He reminded me of my father, actually. My father uh, tried probably 20 different businesses in my life. He was unemployed my whole life. He was cheating because he was receiving welfare. He was using that money to set up his businesses and every single one failed. And that's as important a lesson as if I'd had a father who was like Jeff Bezos or something. It was just as important for me to see why things don't work as it was to see why things don't work. Um, but his life was very much like that. I mean, the, the guy was, he was, he was a, unfortunately, you know, a bit of a scoundrel. And uh, for me, the classic, you know, I, I, so I took a risk with three simple steps of including him in the book, but I did it because he sold, that book has sold, but he didn't, but the book has sold 70 million copies over a, in a century. Yeah. And that's, that, that, that just staggers me. And I understand why it's because when you read it, you feel really good at the end of it. I have read it, obviously. So you feel really good at the end of it. You want it to be true. 
but there's really hardly a single practical tool and technique yeah, that you can use that you can take to your life the next day and say, I've changed, you know, this will change my life. Um, and, you know, it was the, originally it was called, you know, to get the noodle, use your boodle. Or the other way around, to get the boodle, use your noodle. And then it became Think and Grow Rich. And I, I think the original title sums up the, the state of mind of the, of the person that wrote it, unfortunately. And, you know, as it was launched, he launched a second book, which was called How to, how to Find Your... How to, how to Find... Um, your soulmate and keep them, and that book was launched the day he got divorced. Oh man! Oh, man. I don't know. So, so when you know these things, you think, okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll read a different book because this one isn't going to help me get out of my my feeling of quicksand right now. That's right, and, uh, uh, man. I love that you said it. I, I was trying to get there, like quicksand. Well, tell us, like that is in three simple steps. That is kind of the the first. You know, I use this language of awareness or pre- of of mindfulness of. Um, to even be aware that we're in the damn quicksand is like a big step, right? Like how to, what is that concept for you? Yeah. It's, so the harder you try, the deeper you sink is how it feels. And that, that's how I used to feel as a teenager when, when the, the harder I fought against, you know, I had that gangs mentality against everyone who was bullying me. The harder I fought against that, the more bullying came my way, the more, the more issues I found, I found myself just sinking deeper and deeper. And so, and, and that's, you know, unfortunately I, I read about mother Teresa who has the most beautiful line in the world that, when she was asked about her opinion of a particular war going on in the world, she said, young man, I'm not against war, I'm for peace. And it's a beautiful statement. And it encapsulates everything that I believe is the, the right way of thinking. And that is to be for something that's beneficial to you. That Everything changes when you just make that simple little change. And so, so that's how I, that's, you know, when I, was a, when I was a kid, that was kind of how I felt, that the harder I was trying, the deeper I sink. And I think that's, that's what happens with the physics of energy. Is, is is the more we go against something that's happening to us, the more we get at that something. And you hear people say it all the time: "Why me? Why does this always happen to me?" And it's it's because they're doing it to themselves, but don't realize. And once they realize, all they have to do is make very small changes to the reaction to the thoughts. You don't have to become a saint. I mean, I'm as I'm as I'm as, I'm as I have as many hang-ups as anybody. If you see me on the soccer field, you'd think I'd never even read three simple steps, let alone wrote it. And, um, you know, because my, my head grows horns and off I go and into a tackle and, you know, we're screaming and cursing at one another and everything. That's okay. That's life. But when it's a critical thing for me, like is I'm going to make a decision here for my business, I don't want to be against what's going wrong in my business. It's just going to spiral out of control and that will feel like quicksand. I'll start to feel like I can't get out and I'm drowning. And, and everyone has that. You know, it happens in relationships. It happens with, with uh, finances. But it certainly happens in business. And so you, when you realize the process, you think, ah, that's, not, that's a stupid thought. Trevor, stop. Now play a little mind movie. Play a little video in your head of this going perfectly well. And that's all you have to do. It does sound new age. It does sound a bit fantastical. But I'm living proof. Um, and I didn't make these things up. I took them from other people who were living proof all of these heroes through throughout history. This is what they did. This is what Henry Ford used to do. It's what Madam C.J. Walker used to do. I worked for them. Yeah, there's a there's a company in Kansas City where we where we call home, and the the it's a it's a now a global construction company. the The founder has has since moved on, um, but the the story goes that he would spend an hour and a half to two hours every day. Um, in either nature walk type meditation or actual like sitting still meditation. And that's how, that's how his day started. Right. And, and again, um, uh, it, it kind of leads me to my, the, the, your concept of, of quiet time. Like, what is that? And why is that important? 
Well, I read, so that was a com, one of the common attributes in all of the biographies I read. It. And they weren't just business people. But, you know, they were adventurers and musicians and um, scientists. I mean, all these fantastic people that made a huge difference in life and, and in their own lives, in a way. Um, they all had their own form of meditation, but in different times, they called it different things. Mm. Like Henry Ford used to go to his old farmhouse that was now derelict, and he'd sit on a, the rock, a, a rotting... Um, uh, rocking chair that his father used to use to do the same thing, and that's where he would contemplate, you know, his his, his production problems. And he'd just sit there, quiet, far from the madding crowd. And I thought that was just such a lovely concept. So when I started it when I was very young, and I couldn't imagine my life without doing that now. But I didn't want to, you know. I mean, there are meditation people go to meditation classes. They use meditation techniques. A lot of those things seem to me like an awful lot of effort, when all you really need to do is sit very quietly. And just allow, and it'll be the only time this day that you allow your 100 billion neurons to actually behave like neurons. Because the rest of the day, you're forcing your brain to slow down to an almost crawl, as far as the brain is concerned, where it's, where it's trying to help you, like we're doing now, it's trying to interpret thought into language and words that we can understand. It's trying to get our ears to, uh, to, to interpret the quantum um, percussion that it's receiving that goes, goes up the, the the um, uh, the nerves of the brain and it's trying to interpret what's in front of my eyes the photons coming into my head right now it's trying to interpret those and giving me a picture that's in the back of my brain of what the life in front of me looks like even though the life in front of me doesn't actually physically exist so it's doing all of that all day long and then we add to that with all of our problems our social problems our family problems our business problems etc so the brain works at an incredibly slow speed 99.99% of our days mm. so if you can just treat yourself to 20 minutes quietly you are, you've earned it you deserve it just 20 minutes in a quiet place in your house or outside where you do nothing absolutely nothing except you let your neurons i call it let your neurons out to play let them have a run around for 20 minutes and see what happens and that's where you get that's that's how you get the those moments of insight that become a winning idea for a, that's how i get them they become a winning idea for a company it just pops into my head and i think and it doesn't just pop into my head as a oh, that would be nice. It pops into my head with a full blueprint of what I need to do to turn that idea, which is a form of energy, into something physically equivalent. And that's that's how I go about, you know, starting companies. And um, that's just what you need to do. So, so I, I encourage everybody to treat themselves to 20 minutes. And I call it taking quiet time because I don't want to get it confused and logged up with meditation techniques because meditation is a group word like sport. So imagine you came from Mars and you came from Mars and the Martian says, what's sport all about? Well, I would say soccer because I love soccer. But somebody else would say bowling because they love bowling. And, and there are so many forms of sport. And the same thing is true with meditation. There are thousands of forms of meditation. So I just wanted to break it all down into a very simple thing. What is the point of meditation? The point of meditation is to let your neurons out to play for 20 minutes. And when you do that, incredible things happen to you, both spiritually, emotionally, intelligently, but also physically beautiful it's beautiful and then you follow that with another practical and i I think i'm getting the 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 concept right but you're then writing intentions and you kind of walk through categories of of different ones and you know for me i've written financial and emotional and and um and relational and and achievement wise but you, you 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 teach this concept of of writing these intentions in a way that they've already happen 
<laughs> and ima- imagining what that has felt like. Um, is there right. an example of maybe how folks could do that and or um, an example from your own life of, of one that's, you know, technically not true when you've written it, but that has come true? Well, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well said. So, yeah, it's a, so again, we have, to go, we have to go back to the science to begin with, but, but I can go through it really, really quickly. Um, so time is an illusion. And and so is it, so most humans are looking at time as linear, like a starting beginning, middle, and end. Okay, so so whilst we understand that from a physics standpoint, from from a from a science standpoint, that time is an illusion, it changes everything for you because you can now realize that. Hang on a sec. That means that I can connect with the past, and that means that I can connect with the future. So yes, okay. Well, wouldn't it be fun then to imagine the past, those things that are holding me back, to imagine those turning out a little differently? They wouldn't hold me into the quicksand so much. So that's a fun thing to do. And then what about if I change the future? Wouldn't that be a fun thing to do? And I'll imagine this perfect future that I want, but I'll bring it to the present by imagining what it actually feels like, not what it would feel like or it could feel like. It's not I wish, I will, or I can. That's all nonsense. That's new age nonsense. What if I say I am? What if I say I am a billionaire? What if I say I sold my company for $100 million, but I haven't even started it yet? But what if I just keep saying that, writing that out? And when you write it out, you imagine it. And that's what I did when I started my very first company because I, I used these techniques. I was never interested in business and I was never interested in finances. I just wanted to travel and explore the world, although I wanted to travel in a luxury way. So I used intentions to achieve that. I visited 56 countries, was earning 350000 a year while I was visiting. You know, they basically paid travel of what, what I had doing jobs that I enjoyed. And then when I decided to start a company, I did the same thing. So I sat back and I said, okay, I imagined myself selling this company for $100 million, and I was imagining that when I hadn't even yet been able to raise the $2.1 million I needed to get started. And this is the magic of, of uh, intentions. And so what happens is you, you, you bring so – so you have an intention that's positive, so it's something that you want, it's something that you're for, and you make it present. So you bring it into the present. So you imagine what it actually feels like to experience that, but you're imagining it before you experience it. Mm. And that's where the magic happens. And so I started my first company, sold it for 105.5 million six years later. And I thought six years was a long time. I, I didn't think I'd done a very good job. Um, now, now it's different. So now I've got other imaginations. So I've got other intentions. So I've got different and bigger intentions. And you can do the same thing with relationships. You can do it in, with health. You can do it with any aspect of your life. But the, the key, the secret is because it's all just energy and you're stretching through an energy field to the future, you can pull that future to you. So you can experience it today instead of having to wait what we what we think of in a linear term as 20 years or 30 years. And um, when people start to do this, I get more emails on this than any other thing. There's a lot of tools and techniques in addition to this that mm. support the intention setting. Mini Mind Movies is a very powerful one, very important. So, so, so there's things that we add to it. But when people put the whole package together, well, the emails are just fantastic. I mean, I've got emails from a 13-year-old girl who was working in a sweatshop, who all she wanted to do was dance. She's now training with the Royal Ballet in London. Man. An 87-year-old guy in, in, in Virginia who was an ex-professor um, of economics at one of the universities there just started his first company at 87. Unbelievable. Been putting it off for so long, and he feels like a kid. He feels like a child again. He feels, um, you know, immortal, which is just a fantastic thing. So all kinds of things like that happen when you put these little tools and techniques together. It's what we would love to believe without the tools and techniques, and it's what you would read in many self-help books. But you need the tools and techniques. You need the practical thing. I need to do these things today, and then I'll just sit back and see what happens. Take the pressure off. You don't have to believe it. 
that's the beauty of it. You don't need to believe anything. Just do it. That's, that's amazing, man. Um, I'm, I'm smiling because you've, you've, you've tapped into where I think the traditional corporate setting, um, and, and, I, and I had plenty of years there, it, it, it strips, not intentionally, not to be mean, but it strips the playfulness, it strips the imagination, um, it, 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 it demands or kind of forces, um, you know, kind of this, this structure of, of uh, you know, the, the factory type mindset, right? Seth Godin yeah, talks about very, very, Yeah, very goal-setting oriented, and it, which is the old masculine type of energy, actually. And there's nothing wrong with goals. I mean, we, we, you know, we go to the refrigerator, we find it empty, we go grocery shopping, we sell the refrigerator, that's a goal achieved. That's what goals are about. And, and goals are fine. You'd use them for forecasting and budgets and, and your management by objectives. And, and they work within that setting and they're fine. And we probably do need them for our everyday lives. Um, you know, but goals will take, are like stepping stones across a pond. Intentions are flying across an ocean. You're not going to be able to do it with stepping stones. You're going to drown. And so you need something different. So you've got to, you've got to build a ship or a bridge or a rocket. And so that's, that's the difference between intentions and, and goals. Goals are very necessary in our everyday lives, as I, you know, especially in the West, I think. But um, it's the way we think and that it's part of our culture. Nothing wrong with them, but they're not going to help you get your dreams. For dreams, you need something completely different. And that's where you need to understand uh, energy, the illusion of time, and the power of imagination. It's beautiful. Um, it, we haven't even scratched the the... the People have to go read. They should, and they they would enjoy every word of, of both of your books and your courses and your email series. I'm watching your seven day video course right now, and it's it's amazing. Um, that we haven't we haven't hit the mentality shield yet, and I think it's just such a beautiful picture. To and you, you call it the, the original concept was the bell jar, I think. Um, but yeah. but you've you've articulated it now as this mentality shield. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I stole the idea from an autobiography, <laughs> and uh, and again, it was something I noticed. So, so this Sevi Ballesteros, who was a, a, a famous golfer, died of a brain tumor, unfortunately, I think in the nineties. Um, but he was up against Jack Nicklaus, and he was the new kid on the block, and and no one liked him because everyone was a huge Jack Nicklaus fan, and he really struggled with the mentality of hostility on the golf course, and his game went to pieces. And a self help guy or a personal development guy who was Scottish, um, Jack Black, his name was. Um, he developed this technique called the bell jar technique. And so the story goes that he taught Sevi Ballesteros when he was setting up at the tee or when he was lining up to take a putt on the green, that he imagined this huge bell jar descending from the heavens. And this is in the days before Harry Potter and Hogwarts. You could imagine an invisibility shield if you want or something like that. But so this huge bell jar coming down and completely covering him. And then he was to imagine all that hostility of all the people in the crowd. It was bouncing off the outside of the bell jar and turning to dust. I love the visual of that. I thought, wow, this is brilliant. So I was going to use it for name calling and stuff like that at school. And, uh, and it worked beautifully. And, and so, and so, uh, you know, Sefi Ballesteros ended up winning several of the, of the slams and, and, um, always claimed that that was the big secret to his success, how he overcame the effect that people's hostility can have on us. So today is particularly relevant, I think, because we're, we're sort of bombarded by so much information, but you know, social media, but also the networks so much negative information that I wear a bell jar all of the time. I'm never without it. But when I started this technique, I used to just imagine putting it on in certain difficult situations. So if I was visiting difficult family, I would put my bell jar on. If I was going to a board meeting, I'd put my bell jar on. 
And it did. It, it has an amazing effect on you because you're. It's almost like you're sitting inside this bell jar that no one else can see, and you're smiling internally because you're thinking nothing that anybody says to me can affect me anymore. And an amazing thing happens. People stop trying to affect you. And I think it's because you don't react anymore to the to, in the way that you would have reacted before with with a frown or a, a, a facial gesture or even with words or whatever. So so that so I call it the mentality shield, and, and it's it's kind of the, it's, it's the very basic, the very start of mentality control and it's the first thing you can do so everyone who's listening to this they can start using it today that's why i like these techniques so you can just imagine it today so if you if you say us later on today after i've heard this this podcast later on today i'm supposed to go and do x or i'm supposed to go and see this person or even i'm going to go into a hospital or a medical situation or something like that try to imagine a bell jar or something that you feel more comfortable with imagine that covering you completely and protecting you from anybody's negative thoughts and you'll have the most incredible experiences and you'll never be without it again. You know, again, I say you don't need to believe this. Just have some fun with playing with it and uh, you, you, it'll be with you for the rest of your life. So that's, great. that's it. That's, about, that's the bell jar technique. That's great. Um, we, we haven't, you know, maybe another time we will talk about, I love your the way you've kind of disrupted traditional startup culture and structure with hub concept and hiring contractors and, and, and special, like hiring um these really talented sub, you know, contractors to, to help you right. build your team, which is beautiful. So people need, if they're interested in entrepreneurship. Um, but one thing you, you, that, that I do want to kind of draw in closing here is, and the question in my mind is what does a day in Trevor Blake's life look like knowing that you've, you've, you've started and sold three companies now worth over 300 million bucks, which is like, okay, amazing. You're running four, five, and six, and and you are unapologetic about, hey, man, like I work five hours a day, period, like end of story. Um, and, and I think there's this this belief, and I, man, I've fallen into a plenty of like, got to work 14 hours a day, got to hustle, got to grind, I got to do the thing, and I got to <laughs> I gotta make sure I'm like at inbox zero, and everybody's like, wow, right? Like it's this stressful, chaotic frenzy. Um, so I, I'd love it's to, uh, yeah, it's madness, right? And I'd love to ask you the direct question of like, what does a what does a work day in Trevor Blake's life look like? Yeah, I get up at seven, and I, I, I do not switch on any electronic device until I decide to go to work at about 10 past nine. And so the first two hours is a very magical time spent with my wife and my dogs, so, uh, taking quiet time, going for a walk in the woods. Nothing will interrupt that. Nothing will break that. And that's not a clever idea on my part. Again, these are the behaviors of the successful. And you can find that out anywhere. You can go online and say, habits of successful and wealthy, and you'll find several things. One is no one works more than five hours a day. Everybody reads a ton, and everybody spends a, a whole lot of time in nature rather than you know sitting at, sitting at a computer. So nine, 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 ten, I start. I have a... a a board, I'm very organized, very disciplined, which and I, I, those are not natural things for humans. And so you can learn the techniques and they're in the in three to six secrets to a successful startup. So I have my priority list and I'll go and do the first thing in the priority list, no matter what it is. And I will not check email and I will not check any WhatsApp or I will not check anything else until I've achieved at least the first task, whether it takes 20 minutes or two hours, it doesn't matter. Um, I will not work more than two hours. There's no more than two hour periods. And I do that because scientifically it's proven that we can't concentrate more than two hours. And all of our effort after two hours is pointless. And so when you learn that, and there's all kinds of you know, um, references to support. And when you learn that, you realize, okay, so what I did was I split my life up into um, productive working periods and productive relaxation periods because they're just as important, if not more important, than the working period. So I'll work typically from nine to 11 
and then I'll go for a walk. And this time I don't take my animals. I go by myself and um, I don't go with any expectation. I just go and see what happens. Um, and then I have a, a two hour lunch with my wife. Well, we, that, that's um, not negotiable. So, so we spend 12 till two together either at home or going out for lunch or, or, or one of those things. And I will typically work between two and four and, uh, and then, re, you know, repeat that then I go and play soccer or I go work out or all these different things. And I never work after five o'clock. So I'll typically, typically I'll work, I won't call it work. I'll do some writing like my blogs or my emails or my books, etc. between five and six while we're preparing dinner. Cause I find that's, mm. you know, from a scientific standpoint, uh, when you do creative endeavors, you're, you're better at it when your brain is tired. And so between five and six, my brain's been used a little bit during the day, so it's tired, it's more tired. So then I'll do something creative by writing. And that's pretty much it. And, and there's nothing clever about it. It's, it's made possible by, by stretching the business to make that happen. That's, that's the key thing. And, and part of that, and this almost go, you know, this is almost sort of um, heretic in a way, or heresy when we talk about it, never hire an employee. Because the minute you hire an employee, your focus goes away from business growth into keeping and retaining and making sure your employees are happy. It becomes like an internal whirlpool, I call it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's listening has been there too. I spent 75% of my regular business career sitting in a meeting room talking about how to keep employees happy. Mm. When what we should have been talking about is business growth, customer satisfaction, all of these things, new products, you know, product innovation. That that doesn't happen in the traditional workplace, as That's you right. know. Yep. Um, so so when you when you take all that away, you take the employees away and you take the, the need to have ridiculous meetings away, you end up with all this time. And five hours is a lot of time when you're by yourself. It's a huge amount of time to get stuff done, which you would never get be able to get done in a regular workplace because you've got all these distractions, all these meetings, all of these coffee pot conversations and stuff like that. When you're on your own, you will get burned out if you work more than five hours a day. You really will. And uh, I see a lot of burned out employee, uh, uh, entrepreneurs work 14-hour days, but they're on the third marriage, and even their animals don't know who they are. Mm. That's not life. I want success with balance. So I have a very balanced life. I have uh, my animal rescue uh, projects, which I'm able to look at, take care of. I've got my writing projects, which I'm able to take care of, and I've got my businesses. And I, I actually have to be honest with you. In, you know, in my writing, I talk about the five-hour workday, the practical magic of the five-hour workday. I can't remember the last time I worked five hours. <laughs> probably, I would say, I would say for the last fifteen years, I'd have to be honest and say probably three hours is as much as I work. That's awesome. Uh, that is awesome. It's awesome, man. And and um. Well, the business runs itself. The, the funniest thing for me was when I went on my first vacation with my first company. I was terrified that when I got back, it would be chaos. I went away for three weeks. When I got back, no one had noticed I'd even gone. And, and so if you set it up right at the beginning with a, with a, a hub structure or a model of alliances structure, the companies run themselves and your job then is like a conductor of an orchestra. Mm. You don't have to play every instrument and be as good as everybody else for playing those instruments. You just have to know what the sound is like. You've got to be able to get harmony. And that's, that's, that's just a different approach to building a business than is typically what we're taught coming out of the traditional hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, in real time, I'm processing and because and, and, we, we, you know, we've we've bucked lots of trends in our marketing agency um, and, and the way that we create content and tell stories for, for brands. Um, and, and in lots of ways, like I've recreated systems that I've known and learned. Right. Like it, it, it's it's I, I wish I would have read your book four years ago, but um, <laughs> it, but it, but it's a beautiful and, and I'm man, I'm hung up not in a good way. I'm hung up on your I don't think anyone's ever told me that the writing 
piece comes because I'm a writer too. And that's some of the most, my favorite parts of my job is when I get to write words and, and uh, personally and for the business. Um, but the, I, I, no one's ever said that that typically is better when your brain's tired. And it makes sense. Cause like sometimes my best writing comes out at 11 at night when everybody's asleep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, mine cool. too. Uh, I, I make sure uh, for, for that very reason, I make sure that I have a pen and paper absolutely anywhere I happen to be. Yeah. Every pocket of everything I wear, every desk, every 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 tabletop has a pen and paper on it because you don't know when that inspiration is going to arrive, and it does arrive when we are tired, like and we're not really, you know we're not mm. concentrating on it. Man, Trevor, I I, I am um, just blown away and grateful. Uh, and, and, and just you, you've impacted my life in a huge way. And so I'll, I'll tell you directly, thank you. Um, and, and I know that you're, you're doing the same for thousands of other folks, man. And I'm really thankful for your time. Hey, no, you're welcome. It's, it's my pleasure. I just, I want more people to have fun. That's what it's all about. <laughs> I love it. Hey, we end every one of our shows with five, four kind of simple layup questions and then, and then a meaningful one at the end. So if you'd indulge me, um, I'd love to, to rattle these off real quick. So what's the, what's, I know you're reading three hours a day. What's the last book you've, uh, you've read? Uh, Helena Blavatsky's book. I read constantly. So I read it every day. Um, the secret doctrine. Mm. Um, so, so that's, a, that's a, a constant for me. For relaxation, I love historical fiction, so I've always got. So right now I'm reading C.J. Sampson's um, a series of books about a, a detective in Tudor, England. And uh, I, I find that history doesn't necessarily repeat, but it does rhyme. And so reading historical fiction really helps me understand the things that are going on around us now. I think, well, I've heard about this before. It happened 300 years ago. Wow. I love you know? <laughs> History doesn't repeat. It rhymes. I love yeah, that. That's absolutely. beautiful. Um, what's, if you're just, you know, having a low key, slow Saturday, what's your favorite t-shirt? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, you, you understand that I'm living currently in the Pacific Northwest. So wearing t-shirts is usually underneath something. <laughs> Fair. Good point. <laughs> it's nonsense. But, um, so I, I used to be a big fan of those, um, what were they called? Those life's good t-shirts, you know, and they have the, oh, yeah. They have the, oh yeah. I like you remember life's good. Oh yeah, um, they had that little uh, insignia, and I liked it because the guys who came over that were all unemployed at the time, and they were just doodling on the wall, and um, they looked at it and said, "Hey, we could sell that," and they formed the company, and it became you know, world famous. So I love you know life's good. So I have life's good baseball caps and t-shirts and stuff like that. Oh, that's great! I didn't know that story. That's awesome. Um, if you weren't afraid, what would you do right now? If I wasn't what? If you weren't afraid, if is there something you're afraid of that you're like, man, if I wasn't afraid, I'd go do this. And there's nothing I'm afraid of. Nothing. <laughs> I love that. Um, I had a I feeling. Don't mean that that that. I don't mean that arrogantly, but but what what on earth does fear do for you to disconnect you? So yeah. so, so uh, fear disconnects us from the universe, and so it's the worst thing you can have. It's o- it's okay to feel fear, but then how you react to it's really important. So there's nothing I wouldn't do or attempt. I love that. I, I had a feeling you'd have a brilliant answer to that. All right, number four. Um, where is your favorite place on Earth? Uh, the Cotswolds in England. Mm. I've never been. It's, it hasn't changed in time. Um, it's, it's, so when you go to the Cotswolds, it's like it's like going back to fourteen hundred. I just, I just really, I find it just a, a tranquil place, and it, you can't change because there's so many bylaws that prevent building and stuff like that. So it can never change. So it is like going back in time. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay, last one. When it's all said and done, what what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, leading by example is something I was I was told when I was a lot younger that that's 
you know, whole purpose for being here, so leading by example, which is it's not as glamorous as it sounds because in order to bad, you have to experience both sides of the sword. And uh, yeah. and so if you can experience that and you can come out of it with useful advice for other people, I think that's that's a legacy. That's something worth leaving. Man, well said. Trevor, everyone should go rush to Audible or Amazon, buy both books, check you out at trevorgblake.com. Uh, any closing words or tips for our for our listeners? Uh, there will never. I can tell in history. I'm absolutely certain of this. History will look back on this particular time, the next five to ten years, and and see it as the opportunity to reinvent yourself and achieve rapid financial independence. There's never been a better opportunity. Just because changing energy from old male, you know, clipboard step by step this new female spiraling energy that we're working on. If you can, if you can match yourself to that energy, your opportunities are limitless. But don't wait, jump in. It's just, it's just start now. Don't even figure out. You don't need to know what you're doing or even how to do it. You just have to start. Well said. You, you share that in your book where you said uh, a mentor of yours had a version of that that just said, "Hey, just get going. Like just, just start, and the path starts to unfold." I love it, Trevor. Thank you for your time, my friend. Really grateful for you. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Great questions. As always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable, so thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, when we get to share another great conversation with you, have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.